<laughs> I want you, okay, hold on. I want you to imagine you've opened your fortune cookie. Fill your cake sandwich with art, house with dirt, and your birthday cards with hair. It's the new Bible! There, know the system you're messing with before you mess with it. Know the system you're messing with before you, yes, that's it, check, done. That was the fastest one yet. Is it worth the wait? Welcome to Agreement, and it is our podcast. And what do we do on our podcast other than have a ton of fun? That's most of it. Uh, no, we 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 each bring you three things. Those three things are a weird thing, a pop culture thing, and a research thing. And then we try to make them all fit together into a meaningful piece of advice or randomness that we call our fortune cookie. And we hope that you'll reflect upon it and use it to improve your life in some way. In some way. Yeah. Not in all ways. I mean, we're just a podcast. Nope. Every <laughs> single way. Every aspect of your life. Well improved. For the next fortnight, for the next 12 to 14 days, has to be letter <laughs> of the law. So I'm, we, I'm assuming everyone ate nothing but pizza joyfully. We have, we have become week. a self-help cult. Yep. Yep. So this is episode 57. 57. And that means I go first. Have edit. Let's have at it. I have two weird things. And the first one, I'm going to play you a noise, and I want you to try to tell me what you might be hearing. Okay. Also, I realized, well, a lot of this is very sound-based, which is good for a podcast, but I realized that there are instances, you know, you take a photo of the moon, especially, and it just doesn't look like it looks like in person. Yeah. These sounds I'm playing to you are wild in person, because I've been witnessing them, and I they just the recordings of them that I could find just don't capture it. So imagine this is much louder and like more baritone, but okay. I want you to get what you are hearing. Those are crickets. That's not it. Okay, that's gonna say. So, so the the kind of squirrelish sound, right? Yeah, I'll do the okay. main thing again. 
We'll play the sound this. Yeah, I mean, so I um, I mean, it sounds like like a squirrel, like a squirrel call, like um. You can or, open your eyes now. Okay. That that is what came to my mind. Ah, uh, I think that exactly. I think a squirrel. It sounds a lot like a squirrel. Um, I've been hearing this noise super, super loudly, generally at night in my home, and it's just very loud. It is deeper, and I assumed I have problems with possums. When I hear it, I assume it's a possum, right? That makes sense for what it is, and then I get really upset because I'm like, get out of here, possums, and simultaneously, I'll go ahead and tell you, that is a gecko. Oh, which I would not have thought. So they make little chirping noises. That is an Asian house gecko, which is um, very prevalent in Australia. And so I've been enjoying the Asian house geckos for a long time because they crawl all over our windows at night. So you're in your house and all these little underbellies of these small geckos are covering <laughs> your windows. And I do have to admit, at first it was very disconcerting and I did not like it, but I got used to them very quickly. And now they're very cute. It's really fun to watch them go after a bug and then swallow it. And you can see, because it's through the windows and their bellies are against the window, you can see their hearts beating. You can see the bug go into their stomachs So, because um, they're quite see-through. I mean, since since you are in Australia, I have to ask, can they kill you? No, okay. the geckos right. are fine, <laughs> and they're um they're a non-native species, and they are overrunning the the country. But um, so I hear this chirping constantly. I think it's possums, and somehow my husband put it together finally that that is the gecko, and so they are just they're so much louder than you would think these little teeny geckos could be, and it's very cool. But I thought quite weird. They do, they are very, they're like the equivalent of mice here. There are mice here in Australia, but they like to, I was like, oh, they're cute. I've saw one in our house once, but they do chew through things like mice. And um, we have like a spare little, they call it a donga, a little like mother-in-law apartment area. And the air conditioning in that broke. And it's because geckos chew through all the wires. I so, knew the air conditioning had broken. I did not know it was the geckos. It was geckos chewing and chewing. So, well, they are very cute. They Why do they chew on wires? Like, mice make some sense. Because, you know, like, but, like, gecko, geckos don't have teeth to grind down. Like, what are, what are they trying to do? That I do not know. I don't know what they're doing. But we also um, have to shoo them away from our, we have, like, fairy lights around our porch. So they like it. They like to do it, but I don't know why. So that is a little lesson on, on the Asian house gecko. And now I'm going to play you again. When I heard this, I really stopped and went, what was that? But all the recordings I can find of it don't quite do it justice. I guess what I'm saying is everyone has to come visit me in Australia so you can listen to weird noises. things. Yeah, so close your eyes one more time. They are closed. Cool, cool. Okay, so now I'm going to play you another sound. Uh, um, 
It's either a very squeaky sing swing set or some kind of very sad bird. No, doesn't it sound exactly like a rusty swing set? Yes. <laughs> that was my thought. Um, so <laughs> they do not sound the way they are described. Um, but that is, so this is, I guess we can say this is part two of the new miniseries Catherine makes friends in Australia and they teach her about birds so last episode I learned about I don't have magpies I have curlwongs but now I do have magpies um there's also a very a new addition to the bird group has been a bullying crow this is the biggest crow I've ever seen it is the size of two house cats and it comes and eats all the cashews it's a problem we have to figure it out anyway I was at lunch with um, a new acquaintance and we were talking about birds because that's something I like to do clearly. And she asked me if I had ever heard of a bird called a, um, what is the exact name of this bird called a bush stone curlew, C-U-R-L-E-W. And I had not, she got very excited. She showed me pictures of them. And they look like if a roadrunner was on stilts. So they have very long, stilty legs and then a roadrunner on top. And I said, oh, that looks like a roadrunner. She had never heard of a roadrunner. We exchanged cultural knowledge. Cultural exchange. Um, yeah, <laughs> look, it's happening. I'm doing it. And so, but she said these birds are really interesting because they sound exactly, and I had never seen them before this lunch and never heard them. And she said they sound exactly like women screaming. And I don't think they do. I think they sound like a rusty swing set. But the sound is very haunting, especially if you hear it in person. And I kid you not, I went home that night from this lunch and I heard one. And I'm so glad she told me about it because otherwise I would have been freaked out being like, what is happening? What in my house is breaking? Um, and so, yeah, but it isn't necessarily a great thing to start hearing them. They are especially in indigenous Australian culture considered a harbinger of like bad luck. And there, and some people will not even look at them because they're thought to either be that sound is the cry of a recently departed soul or the birds come to collect people's souls or spirits. So they're very, very linked to death. They're like the Grim um, Reaper. Yeah. Of birds. And that does sound, it's a haunting sound. Yeah. So. I mean, like, even just like a creaky swing in the middle of the night, like that's a creepy sound on its own. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know so what, bird? The next. Oh, oh. I was. Gonna say, I was just going to finish it off with um, but then I'm again. I'm so glad I knew about them because, and I think you know, were they always there? And I just wasn't seeing them. I don't know. I was walking through a park after dark, and the park did have a swing set, and I start hearing this noise, and I would have thought it was the swing set. But then I see the birds and they only come out at night. They're kind of pale in color and they're running on these thin, stilty legs you can't see. And they do. They look scary. They look like little ghosts screaming around. And so I stopped and watched them and I was enamored. And as I stopped to watch the little ghost birds, a bat flew into my shoulder, one of the big fruit bats. And again, I love my moments of Australian wildlife. I love it. So what were you going to say about birds? I was going to say the bird that does sound like a woman screaming as if she is being terribly murdered is a peacock because, yes. it, I mean, that's just a horrifying sound. 
Maybe that's why I'm not so moved to yeah. think these sound like screaming because I'm really used to peacocks. My grandma was next to a like a farmer that had peacocks. So yeah, they do sound terrible. They are. They are so haunting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They used to escape also, from our neighbors and come and roost in the trees in our yard. And it would just yes. sound like there was just like murder in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think peacocks have it up on the bush stone curlew. That's my weird thing. Just listening to the sounds of the nightlife all around me. Nice. My weird thing is also about birds. Um, so I am going to tell you about an article titled AI came for our jobs, our art and our souls. Now it's coming for our birds. <gasps> and I actually saw this picture that the article is about um, being shared because as longtime listeners will know, I am in a Wingspan Facebook group because I like the game Wingspan and I like niche Facebook groups. In fact, Catherine and I were talking before we started here that like a lot of my peers have quit using Facebook because it's so negative and um, brings them down so much. And they're like, I just can't handle it. And I'm like, I don't know what I did, but I have curated a delightful space on Facebook. That's just full of like, do you want to join the Moss Appreciation Society? And here's a group where people post pictures of, um, what, what is it? Not unremarkable things that make cool pictures. And yeah, like, like, unremarkable aesthetic thing like, just... they were really nice to look at yeah you yeah, should like... be you scrolled through your facebook and it was lovely and like... i am one of those people that is off facebook because it was terrible so i don't know what you're doing right in life but you are doing it my facebook is a wonderful place to be every once in a while there'll be some negativity but it is definitely like oh why are you having a bad day have you not seen enough pictures of moss like it yeah so <laughs> so i had like, seen no, this I picture haven't in one of my Facebook groups. Um, and I am going, I'm going to pull it up so that you can see it. Um, not you listeners, because you can't, but that's not how this works. Have you, have you seen this picture? <gasps> no, don't. It's so, so I haven't, but it's not, it's not oh. a real bird. Spoiler. Hmm. So it's a this really the problem, right? Yeah. Because birds are so cool. I yeah. just played you a, yeah. a song of a swing set bird that you would believe almost anything about birds. And they so, should not use that joy and wonderment of birds against us. So this is a really pretty picture of a like cardinal-ish looking bird um, that at first glance looks normal, like looks like it would be a bird, um, but really, really pretty. It's, it's white in the face and across its breast. And then it's got like very bright red um plumage on top of its head sticking up in the like signature cardinal and then red wings with white and kind of black on them just very striking um and yeah like i would believe that a bird could look like this birds look all kinds of different ways and it was being described on a facebook page um from like Newfoundland news as a rare red and white cardinal in its festive colors because of uh I, I'm probably gonna mispronounce this pronounce this gen andromorphy when when um a animal presents or I guess anything presents traits of both sexes. Um and so like they're they're suggesting that this is a cardinal that has both female and male physical traits. It is not, uh, which those do exist. And there are pictures of actual ones like here. This is one, what it really looks like, if you are curious. I am. 
I mean, that also, right? If you said which of these birds is AI or Photoshop, that bird looks Photoshop. Yeah, because it looks like they literally just took like a male cardinal's head and stuck it on a female cardinal's body. Exactly Um, what it looks like. And it doesn't look well Photoshopped. So that is that is an actual one. Um, And so, yeah, so people were sharing this picture and somebody shared it with the author of this article. This is a this is a Slate article by Nicholas Lund, and he's kind of known as a bird guy. So one of his friends sent it to him, and he was like, now I've got to be the curmudgeon that tells them that this is not an actual bird. He's, he's like, this doesn't look right. He's like, this is definitely not a cardinal. And he's like, the beak isn't, the beak looks more like a chicken beak than a cardinal beak. I was going to say that. Yeah, it does look like a teeny chicken beak. And then he's like, as I looked closer, I noticed that it appears to have three feet. So if you look again, like oh, you kind of see, so yeah. AI can't do hands or bird feet. <laughs> yep. And it's like the the tail, if you look like the tail is kind of split in two back here. Um yeah. and like there's snow like just kind of hanging out on its tail in a way that, you know, bird isn't just gonna let snow collect on its tail and yeah. So so he was like he was like, Yeah, but he's like, but I looked at the Facebook comments and, you know, my friend's not the only one who mistakenly thought this was a real bird, which, I mean, why would you think somebody is lying to you about a bird? That's a weird thing to make up. But a bird. <laughs> and and his, I just, I really like this line. This wasn't a real photo at all. It was a photorealistic fantasy created by AI. Ugh. <laughs> like, yes. Ugh, Ugh, indeed. Right? Like, I think this Ugh. is... We we are reaching a uh, a world of UG where we're just over and over again gonna go like oh look at that UG like <laughs> thought I had a cool thing <gasps> oh it is it's like we've talked about this before but when someone's like they lie about nothing it's like a oh gotcha and you're yeah. like well okay I just believed you about yeah. a banal thing I don't see a joke here yeah you didn't I get had me. a version Michelle I had a version of this. That I got very upset over. I've had a hard week. I learned uh, that you could overdose some serotonin in your own brain, not by taking too much medicine, just your body doesn't like it. And so that messed me up this week. But so I'm going to use that as an excuse for why this I got hung up on this. But I had the same thing of like, it wasn't AI, but of things not being real and going like, oh, but it was for um a, a video trip. I feel really embarrassed even saying this. Um, It was for a video trend in which young men stick forks into toasters. And um, I was like, oh. So (laughs) for some reason, I got very upset that they weren't real. And it was mainly because there was an article going, these are obviously hoaxes. But here's what's interesting about why they're being deplatformed. And I'm like, who says they're not real? Why don't we think they're real? Why can't they be real? And I just got in a loop about, are these real or not? And I guess it's because a lot of people were arguing that um, even if they are a hoax, they're dangerous. Because if young people see them, they'll try to replicate it. And I guess it upset me because these were very young people doing it. And I'm like, well, if you think young people would be susceptible to seeing this and then they would do it and not know the difference, why wouldn't these young people just be doing it? So I fell into a big research hole of like what actually happens if you stick a fork in a toaster and they were faking it. But it made me sad. I don't know why. I guess I'm glad they're not. You know why? Young people. I'm glad they're not. Yeah. I mean, I think it's because 
we are entering a, I hate to use the buzzword of this, but I think we're entering a post-truth reality that neither of us, and hopefully most of us, just don't know how to function in. Because we are people who have been trained to recognize truths and i think you and i especially as people who are in the humanities and as people who are who are trained in social constructivism we especially appreciate truths that are not bound by like scientific or um object or objective reality like we understand that there is a reality that can be subjectively built and how fragile that is and that a a post-truth world comes for us first right yeah whether it be a santa claus cardinal or sticking toasters (laughs) sticking forks into toasters the other thing that did bother me about it and it totally builds up what you're saying of this post-truth world is when i tried to search because these videos were characterized by they would stick the fork in the toaster And then the feed, the live stream feed would glitch out. And that's arguably because the toaster is messing with the power. And then it would show them like flying backwards, but in a glitchy way. And people, obviously those glitches were used to then do the effects in a particular way. So I had to Google what happens if you stick a fork in a toaster? Like, is it a big explosion? Is it silent? Is it quieter? And I I thought this was going to be the case because I'm currently, and I'll mention this later, doing some work in which I am training generative AI, mainly like chatbots. And one of my jobs that I do for that is to try to get the chatbots to do things that are dangerous, that are considered dangerous in this wide berth of what is dangerous for chatbots to do. And one of those things is giving instructions on how to do things that would hurt you. And so I had an inkling when I went to Google to say, what happens if I stick a fork in a toaster? It would refuse me. And it did. Like the first search result was like, I can't tell you the answer to this because it's dangerous. Just don't. And I'm like, that was wild, right? That if it's yeah. this post-truth thing, I can't even figure out what would happen because it's too dangerous to even have that knowledge. Pre-connection that I can't bring up yet, but pre-connection um yeah okay yeah like what so all of this to say that um it isn't just this bird that has been circulating on social media that has been ai generated that it's tons of them there are tons of ai generated birds and it is really upsetting birders like people who who like to bird watch and it's really upsetting nature photography photographers who are like do you know how hard it is to like get a good picture of a bird and apparently there's also um like huge and i i mean this makes perfect sense i had just never thought of it like there are all kinds of ethical questions about nature photography and like so there are people who who have very strong codes of ethics that that are like i will not do anything that would manipulate the bird's natural habitat or put it at risk um but there are people who do things like throw food to get a good shot of an owl but like the food they're feeding it isn't necessarily good for it or mm-hmm. you know like it's it's affecting its hunting and so like there's lots of questions about what is okay to get a good shot and so now adding this layer of like now you're competing against ai pictures and what would people do it's just just very complicated in a way that i had never really considered before as yeah. somebody who when i see a cool picture of a bird i usually go oh, cool bird like i don't 
go much further. And now you than can't. That. It's not that simple now. Now you can't right. just do it. Every time right. you see a picture of a bird, you're going to be like, I don't know, are you a real bird? And I, especially like in relation to our conversation about post truth and like, well, how do you know? At the end of this section, um, this author says, thankfully, there are tools to fight back for the truth. Online services can help spot deep fake videos. There are AI voice detectors. A birder's best tool might be the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's Macaulay Library, an online media database of tens of thousands of wildlife species, including birds, amphibians, and mammals. There are more than 10,000 bird species alive on Earth, and every single one we know has an entry in the Macaulay Library. And then um, there's a link to the Macaulay Library that I'm going to bring to you. And he just kind of ends with this, like, why are we making fake birds when real birds are so amazing? And there's just, I'm, so I'm just yeah. going just gonna to show you the some of these Oh, look at those real amazing birds. This is the spoon-billed sandpiper. Oh my, look at, that looks AI generated. What in the world that is that? bird is, that looks like an alien. Like, like an alien like dragon. You, yeah. <laughs> wow. A green broadbill is what we're looking at, the alien dragon. I love birds. I mean, you know, birds are birds. weird. Birds are beautiful. We don't need to make fake ones. No, that bird's eating a lobster. Just eating it up. That Come bird's on. eating a fish. That bird has a butterfly on its head. That bird is not. What is that bird doing? What's Which that one? bird doing? This one? Hiding a baby. It's hiding its baby. Have you seen those? The the piping plovers? They, they're, they like tuck their babies in them so they look like they have like weird like spider alien legs because the baby's <laughs> legs are just hanging out everywhere. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we don't. Sure. And, but I think it's really interesting because, I mean, this is an academic, the Cornell Lab of Ornith Ornithology, like how important it's going to become for these like databases of vetted knowledge. Not that they weren't important before, but they're just their reach to people beyond their intended audience, their expected audience is going to become increasingly important because, yeah. and and I think we're going to need new tools. Because you can't for, just Google, yeah. you can't Google, is this bird real anymore? Because once it's out, we've talked about this a ton, once the words like Cardinal, Santa Claus Cardinal are out there, it can pick up on them and say, yeah, here it is. Yeah, look, it was on this new site and this new site and like it becomes a self-perpetuating, yeah. All right, so that's, that's my weird thing. Man. came for my birds it could have my soul but not my birds not my birds <laughs> <laughs> you can have my human hands you can have my art but you will not take you my leave birds. my birds alone <laughs> yes okay <laughs> so let's move on to pop culture pop culture Have you heard of the band Boney M? I don't think so. If you haven't heard of the band, I bet you've heard of their their like best known hit, which is the song Rasputin. The that rah, sounds rah, Rasputin. Da, da, da. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. That sounds yeah. familiar. 
I'll insert some of it right here. Thanks, okay. editing, Catherine. Um, but yeah, Catherine. it's been really, really popular. Um, they also did a very well-known cover of the song Sunny. It's not their song originally, but they did one of the better-known covers of it. They also did one of my favorite Christmas songs, Mary's Boy Child slash Oh My Lord, which I don't know if you've heard that either, but they're 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 a very solid band. Um, they also have a song called Belfast that they wrote which is about um, the troubles in Ireland, which is not a good song, but a very catchy song. So if you listen to it, I'm going to give you a warning that Belfast will be in your head for a long time. Boney M is a disco group from the 1970s known for their songs, Ross Butin, which has been really popular for several years now. But they've come to the fore recently yet again on platforms like Instagram, because they're very memeable, because they're three women singers and one male, not really singer, but he just dances. And he dances so fun. Does he dance well? Well, he dances with authority and fun and a lot of energy. So I think he is a good dancer, but it's a bit zany. And um, one of my favorite memes is there's these three very talented women singers doing their thing. And he's just like doing these moves. He always has a cape. And it's like when your mom says you and your friends have to play with your little brother. <laughs> and so there's the little brother just dancing and doing his own thing, but he doesn't get to sing. Everyone should see the dancing of Bobby Farrell. And his name is Bobby Farrell, the man that is dancing in this. And it's wonderful to behold. And their songs are very catchy. And so I was watching this and I wondered why the group had someone who so clearly hardly ever sang, but just did a lot of dancing. It made me think kind of of like the Mighty Mighty Bosch, Boss Tones. Yeah, that's what that I thought guy of who just said this. Dance. So I'm like, is this a shtick of theirs? What's the deal? So I went to look into it and I learned a lot. So the group Boney M was formed in 1976 by um, Fran Farian. So we have... Bobby Farrell, and then someone else named Farian. So Farrell and Farian, keep them apart. Farrell is the dancing headliner of Boney M. Farian is the person that formed the group. So Fran Farian is a German record producer. And in 1974, he recorded the disco track, Baby, Do You Want a Bump? And he both performed the vocals for it and produced it. But when it was released, he credited it under the pseudonym of Boney M. And the song became a bigger hit than he thought across Europe. And so Farian decided to form a group that was actually Boney M. He turned to, um, a, found a model named Maisie Williams, who was also a singer, and then singers Liz Mitchell and Marsha Bennett, and dancer Bobby Farrell. And Bobby Farrell is a dancer. He's not a singer. So Bobby was always a dancer. He never sang. At best, he was lip syncing to the vocals that Farian would add of himself when those came up. But most of the songs are the women singing. And that was never a secret. 
whereas the three female leads also did not sing in any of the studio recordings. So everyone was lip syncing when they went to perform on tour. They were very popular, especially in Europe. Um, so when they did concerts and tours and performances, the singers performing were not the studio singers and they were lip syncing most of the time. But when that information came out, nobody really cared because apparently, especially for disco groups in the disco era in the 70s, it was a fairly common practice to do that, to just have a different set of people that would be the face of it and different people doing studio recordings for the concerts. I mean, doing performances. Yeah studio recordings but here's the kicker that wasn't a big deal bonium is having a moment again they weren't so yeah Farrell was only dancing he wasn't singing no one was singing but farian fran farian who formed the group tried to do that whole thing again in the late 1980s but times had changed enough that you couldn't really do it because farian formed the band millie vanilli so Millie oh. Vanilli is a direct offshoot of this. And just within that decade, it went from, yeah, everyone's doing this, who cares, to a bit of a little bit of scandal for Millie Vanilli when they were caught lip syncing. So I just thought that was cool that my little yeah. mini dive into Boney M revealed to me that they have the same founders, Millie Vanilli, and we're doing the same thing. But man, I think it was a good idea because Bobby Farrell is a joy to behold. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't seem like that has dipped in and out of style. Like I would say from the Millie Vanilli era on, like we we are not tolerant of that as a, like it would not be Even okay. Even if it is the same singer, right? Like I'm thinking of um, Ashley Simpson on SNL, which yeah. she did her own. She played, she lip sync to her own studio recording and everyone was like, boo, we hate you. Well, yeah, and I was just seeing headlines about the Grammys and how um, Miley Cyrus, like, ad-libbing lyrics in there, like, proves that she's not lip-syncing. And I'm like, okay, so, yeah, we still care about this and can't do that. Yeah. Can't do that anymore. And can't do it. No more. Well, and no also, more, I mean, no like, thing. other than, like, something like the Gorillas or, like, Sia, who doesn't want her face shown, the only reason to really do that would be some kind of body shaming like yeah yeah like you've got the you've got a face for radio yeah so i think that's actually kind of that's nice that we have evolved at least as a group tour we could be like no yeah i would like to see the person who's actually singing although i guess the voice is right the whole premise of the tv show the voice is that there is still obviously some prejudice against how people look versus how they sound but but isn't, well, the masked singer, at least, is, like, playing with that, right? It's like, you, you know, could you figure it out? Yeah. But I guess, I mean, you know, like, in the voice they do, from what I know, I've only seen clips of the voice, too, so everything I said was true. But it's not always, like, horrible. Like, it's sometimes like, listen to this amazing singer. Um, You know, sometimes they hit the button and turn around and they're shocked by what they see, but they still, like, take the person onto their team. and Right. Like, so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, could you imagine? Could you imagine someone's like, never mind. Sorry, no, that was I a don't slip like of the hand. And that is important. <laughs> no, 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 no. I will say this for Mass Singer. Macy Gray has now been on the British, the Australian, and the US Mass Singers. She loves it. She clearly loves doing Mass Singer. And it's hilarious to me because her voice is so distinctive. Right. She always gets found out. She's one of the only people that everyone's like you're Macy Gray obviously 
So maybe that's just reassuring for her to be like, I'm do they I am still singular. Do they still know me. But yeah. Oh, well that that makes exactly. me think about how did you watch the Tracy Chapman video? <gasps> uh, yes, did I? Wasn't that just I, watching her watch the audience like sing just just so beautiful. Like that just I don't it was I don't amazing. know. I mean we've talked about it here before. Chills. Like I just love watching people do things they love. And that just felt like such a amazing moment of like just getting that recognition and getting that passion back from the audience. I loved it. In the face of AI birds, we have Tracy Chapman. Yeah. And that's good. Although not to bring the moment of joy down, um, but I learned on TikTok, TikTok can be educational and I do fact check it afterwards. But did you know about her relationship with Alice Walker? I knew that there was some controversy in her, but I, I no, I don't know the details. Is I don't that... know all the ins and outs of their relationship, of course. But apparently, Tracy Chapman was in, involved. I don't think they were in a serious relationship with Alice Walker's daughter. And then Alice Walker... I don't like this language, but the language of a lot of sources are like kind of seduced Tracy Chapman away. And then they were in a very long-term relationship and Tracy Chapman as kind of a like, Hey, sorry that I'm dating your mom instead gave Alice Walker's daughter a really big loan to start an internet cafe. And then Alice Walker and Tracy Chapman's relationship ended very badly. And she like, called the loan in and Alice Walker's daughter couldn't pay it. And she like had the shop chained up and took everything back. And it just, their relationship did not end happily. Ooh, no, I did not. I just read that there was like bad blood and drama. I did not hear the details. That is, that is like some, not quite soap opera level, but certainly a daytime talk show level. Okay, what's what's your pop culture? So my pop culture thing is um, Elmo's Abyss, which I know oh, is not Elmo. like everybody's heard about it by now. But I, I, I want to get your take on it, yeah, and I want to I mean, talk about it. So my pop culture thing is just my reaction to it more than anything. So for those of you who don't know, which I imagine is not very many people at this point, you probably all know Elmo, official at Elmo, Elmo account on X. I'm, I'm just. It's always going to irritate me to have to say X. Um, tweeted, well, maybe not for much longer. It's getting run into the ground. Yeah. yeah. Tweeted, because I think we do still say tweeted. I don't know. You um X'd. You're going to X'd with Elmo? Elmo right. X'd. No. Yeah, no. All right. Well, he posted on the social media platform X. Elmo is just checking in. How is everybody doing? <laughs> to which he got <laughs> tens of thousands of replies. That were overwhelmingly sincere and horrible. <laughs> People just being like, actually, Elmo, not great. <laughs> I'm really pretty sad. Thanks for asking. Like, I am not doing okay. And you could tell whoever was is running this for like Sesame Street account was like, oh, we need to, we need to do something here, right? Um, and so <laughs> they, they just like came in and they brought cookie monster in it was like you know i'm always here to share a cookie with you they were trying to keep it lighthearted and in the vein of sesame street but clearly these are a bunch of adults who are just responding with like a mental health crisis 
across the country, maybe the globe. Um, and, and Elmo's like, wow, Elmo is glad he asked. It's important to ask a friend how they are doing. Right, it necessitated the official Elmo account having like a suicide hotline yes, outreach, yes. mental health numbers, like the full, here's where to get help, everybody. Elmo thinks you need help. And I like, I read it on a day when, I don't know, I am having a better time now, but I am coming out of a couple of months of just very hard times on my mental health because I, if I ever had any doubts that I have seasonal affective disorder, this has absolute like it started the sun started setting after 5 15 and I was like oh I'm better now like just I, and so I am certain that that's what it is and I don't I don't know what to do about it like I, I I mean don't worry I'm talking to medical professionals and trying but I think at some to some extent do you I'm have just, I I I just always very curious in the efficacy of these do you have a sad lamp oh yes yeah, she does she's showing me her sad lamp Oh, oh, oh. Ah! the sun yes um and, and do I you do... notice like anything do you think One, it just 100 okay, percent? Cool. it helps um and i don't know if that's just like placebo effect but i'll take it i'll take all the i'll take a effects. placebo effect man um but i i definitely like use it i mean but we had I think it was three weeks without the sun here. Like it just didn't come out for almost three complete weeks. And I was just, and I'm not, I, I don't like the sun. Like I like rainy days. I like cloudy weather. I am not a, oh, I want to be out sunbathing. Like I, I am always seeking out the shade when it's bright and sunny out, but I need it the way like, you know, that even even the plants that don't want to be in full sun still need some sun to grow <laughs> and i was like just moss moss yes, needs it yes even moss and i was just kind of withering and seeing elmo ask how we were doing and seeing everybody be like actually elmo it's not good um made me feel better and it's funny because in this new york times article about it it says in reply one user wrote somehow this actually legit makes me feel better and that's how i felt like i guess i just that's, I was like, so oh, nice. I, That's the job of Sesame Street in the end. Yeah, yeah. They have to do it roundabout. And I'm like, you know, I don't like, I guess I don't want everybody to be broken. But when you're broken, isn't it kind of nice to know like, oh, it's not just me. At least I'm not like. Yeah. There's. I don't know. Especially I think when I think you're broken in a way that does seem to extend beyond what is normal for you. And in the way that you relate to the world, if everyone is having trouble with yeah. the world. Yeah. I mean, it's like when when you're feeling really crappy and like you're like, oh God, do I have like brain cancer? And then your kid starts coughing. And you're like, no, we all just have the flu. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> like I don't know. It's just nice. Yeah. Like I don't want us all to have the flu, but it's nice to have an answer that like No, exactly. It's <laughs> like if you have a headache and you know why, it's so yeah. you can deal with it. If you have a headache and you don't know why. So if you're depressed and you hate the world and everyone else is like, yeah, it's the world, not you. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. All right. Just needed it. Just needed a vibe check. Wanted to make sure we were all, we were all like, Elmo... no, this is not it. Yeah. So in, you're saying Elmo vibe checked and the vibe was off. The vibes, the Way vibes off. off. <laughs> 
I do. There are a lot of people looking into like how old is Elmo, and he's three apparently, and everyone's like <laughs> everyone's trauma for... dump dumping on a three year old child, <laughs> but he's been three forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he's three the way that like the angel and Buffy is twenty five or whatever. Are you saying that Elmo is a vampire or an angel of some sort? I'm not saying he's not a vampire. Ooh, or a ghost. Everyone on Sesame Street, all the Muppets at least, are... Are ghosts. Well, there is Count Von Count, who's just, who is a vampire. He's a vampire. So maybe they're all different things. That would be a good game to play about, like, what undead being is every person. Again, in the throes of my serotonin syndrome, where my poor spouse had to be, like, checking in on me, um, I was trying to get to sleep, and I cackled to him, don't worry, Big Bird is big again. And he had not heard about what happened because it was the same week, right? Whoever was on uh, Sesame Street social media was kicking off because the same week that Elmo asked how we were doing, Big Bird got small. And that's all. That's all it was. Big Bird, did you see this? Big Bird got small. Oh, you haven't either. Okay. (laughs) And that's it. That's the end of it. And if you just say Big Bird's got small, there's a lot of questions. What are you talking about? But he did get big again. And so I was just laying in bed, tossing and turning. I went, don't worry. Big Bird is big again. And he was like, do we have to take you to the hospital right like, now? Are you hallucinating? When you told them you had an ice dunk in your basement and they were like, <laughs> yep, yep. sure you do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just throwing in uh, that he got small, which was a normal bird size. So he was just bird. Um, and it was, and then for about a full week, went around taking pictures. He was trying to get people's attention. He didn't know why he was small. He didn't know how to get big again. Um, and that then would he be just get big a again. terrifying existential. What's going on over at Sesame Street? Are I know. No. Poor Big Bird. He's big again. It's fine. Okay. okay. Big Bird is big. But now he knows that it could be snatched <gasps> away from him at oh, any no. moment. With no explanation. He's also a child, right? I just thought about the. Do you remember the movie Follow That Bird? The. Yes. <laughs> I've not thought about that movie probably That's since a I. That's great movie. Saw it when I was five. I... <laughs> I'm writing that down actually because I want to watch. <laughs> I want to watch Follow That Bird. Oh, we should have a like Follow That Bird and and like live like. We should not tweet because not going there anymore but live that's actually something maybe that could be i always think about like what's extra content we can have you and i should record us watching follow that bird and then anyone can play follow that bird and just sync up us talking over like we would be like the mystery science theater 3000 the the riff tracks or whatever but i mean that's kind yeah we're just just talking yeah i think like is a big carrier there is doing a lot of work to say we would be like them i mean in concept not in content quality i think we we could make this happen oh my okay. gosh i'm seeing the images you remember this movie <laughs> i don't want to look at it anymore i want to i want to go into it no blind. i want to be just, fresh just, like, go yeah, into it yeah. bl- like we do for all of our podcast activity going in blind <laughs> okay coming soon to a podcast near you michelle and Catherine watch follow, follow that, that bird, bird. Ah, Big Bird, not generated by AI, but also not entirely real. So, and sometimes not big. Oh, I didn't think about that. The more I think about your comment about like, well, he's big again, 
but now he knows that he could he lose that. Get... Is that like him knowing mortality in a way? Yeah, I mean. Okay. Ugh. Shudder. All right. Well, that was a okay. existential Sesame Streeting. Yeah. On to research. <laughs> On to research. <laughs> So, my research began, as I mentioned, I'm training AI, AI, which uh, I find it fun. It is somewhat profitable, but I'm learning so much because I get to see a lot of back-end stuff about generative AI. It begins with me doing this job. It's not always just trying to break it. Sometimes it is a lot of fact-checking to see the, if the information it's giving me is like factually correct. And I somehow got into a conversation with this AI bot about Tyra Banks. And... I learned, but not enough. I could not get to the bottom of this. And I'm sorry, everyone, but I did a lot of research into it and I want to tell you about it. About the product Smize Cream. Smize Cream. Why does so, that sound so familiar? Does it sound familiar? Yes. Oh, okay. we should go, figure out why. Go ahead. Because as you will soon learn, there is hardly anything to be found about Smize Cream. Um, Smize Cream is Tyra Banks. I saw that she had some relation to an ice cream business. The bot told me that was false. And so I'm on a journey to prove the bot wrong. The Tyra Banks does in fact have an ice cream business. But the answer was slightly more complicated than does she have an ice cream business? Yes or no. So in about 2019, Tyra Banks um, incorporated and started a business called Smize Cream which is a play on her idea of you smile with your eyes, mm -hmm. which she calls smizing. That's probably and why it ice sounds cream. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then ice cream. So ice cream, smize cream. Cool. And it seems that she does have that company. It sold ice cream maybe at one point, but in about 2021, 2020, she changed the name of the corporation to Smize and Dream, which still maybe sells ice cream, but only in very select locations. And those locations seem to only exist in, in the United Arab Emirates. So there what? are products. I know. <laughs> I wanted to get to the bottom of this. Why is Tyra Banks selling ice cream only in the UAE? Um, so right now, Gold Belly, which is a website that delivers food, usually like famous food, if you want to get bagels from New York, right, or like turtle soup from New Orleans, they will send you these like special restaurant things. Um, she does have Smize Cream on Gold Belly, but it's all waitlisted. So you can't actually get it. But I'm going to read you the Gold Belly description of what Smize and Dream, formerly Smize Cream, is. And this is the Gold Belly is clearly dated because they're still calling it Smize Cream. So, quote. When supermodel and super businesswoman Tyra Banks was growing up, every Friday night after dinner, she and her mom would head to their local ice cream shop for some cold, creamy goodness. Since then, it's been a lifelong goal of Tyra to found her own ice cream company. And with Smize Cream, also I should say Smize Cream is all caps except for the I in Smize. I don't know why. So thanks to Smize Cream, that dream has come true. These ice creams are creamy, dreamy, super creative, and insanely delicious. And there's a tasty Smize surprise every cup. In order to formulate her super premium custard-style ice cream, 
Tyra worked with ice cream scientist Dr. Maya Warren to craft a base that's insanely rich and creamy, and it's churned in a way that limits the amount of air in it, resulting in an ice cream that's dense and outrageously indulgent. So it's custard. She's making custard. They're inventing never-before-seen flavor combinations in the Smize Cream Flavor Studio, and it's all made in small batches by hand. And if you point your phone camera at the cups, they come alive with AR magic. From purple, there's a lot of additions to this that don't need to be there. Um, so AR is involved. From purple cookies and cream to strawberry birthday cake to classic vanilla to brownie loaded chocolate, this might just be the best and most exciting ice cream you'll ever try. And it's being delivered right to your doorstep. Except it's not. And you cannot get it but anywhere that I can find outside just, of the UAE. I just want to pause for a second and reflect on like, why do I want the thing I'm about to eat to come to life? Like that is disturbing. <laughs> That's a very good question So that I had not considered. I had once wanted to write a paper and then I just realized that I needed to move on with my life um, because I live in the Midwest in the United States and there are lots of barbecue places around and there is a recurring theme of having like an animal that is part of the like barbecue logo that will be like, yeah. like, it'll be like a pig, like happily slathering itself in barbecue sauce or like yeah. a chicken, like, come on down. And I'm like, this is really disturbing. I mean, you know, like I, I am an omnivore. I eat meat. I understand that the meat comes from animals. I'm not trying to hide that fact, but like, I don't need the, the pig to be like self-sacrificing and happy about its demise. Like, I, I don't know. It's, There's just an element to it that's really disturbing and this idea it's of like reverse here perverse. your ice cream has come to life as you do am i gonna chase it down yeah. stab it to death so i can eat it like <laughs> uh yeah yeah um i don't even what does it come alive with right, right. is it the ice cream and it's talking I, to you since maybe we can't though order it doesn't it. want it maybe I it am, begs for its life to imagine be that I, I scan it and it's, like, it's holding up a little picture please i have a family I have three little smile surprises at home. Oh, I'm Please, just trying just to. Just let me go. How did I get here? Why am I on your doorstep? I would I would buy that. <laughs> <laughs> and then like as you eat it, it, it screams and screams in pain. It's getting muff more muffled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. The smile surprise is when it it the you see the life go out of its eyes. That's the smile surprise. Surprise! <laughs> no, ghost. no more smiles in its eyes. That's the surprise. <laughs> oh, and then it's an AR ghost that haunts you forever and ever. Great! I love how we have a brilliant business idea every episode. Every episode, this is just gold. If you if you don't listen to us for the entertainment, just listen to us to mine yeah. the the millions. Yeah. Honestly, absolutely, absolutely. Start up podcast, eat our hearts out via ar so yeah um you can't get the ice cream and i will remind you at the start of this overly convoluted description of what some ice cream is she says that she would have um she wanted to make an ice cream company because she would eat ice cream with her mom every friday on a different website basically most of the research i could find was a lot of clearly like pr write-ups that were dropped onto like second tier websites across the web so on a different one, um, doing a similar PR statement, it said, Smize and Dream is the result of a lifelong love affair that started with her great-grandmother handmaking ice cream for her as a child. Which is it, Tyra? 
Is it your mom buying you ice cream or is it ham making ice cream with your grandma? Those are different things. Those are different. I'm skeptical. So my research goal was what is Smize and Dream? Why is it different than Smize Cream? Where can I get this product? And just a general why, 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 why? That article in the takeout said, Banks actually started concocting plans for Smize Cream 15 years ago. But as People Magazine reports, decided to shelve it for a myriad of reasons. Then in 2020, Smize Cream was set to be one of the main attractions at Banks' Model Land theme park. Tyra Banks has a lot of ideas, and I don't know how many of them have come to fruition. I have not heard of her theme park that is model themed. So Model Land theme park, which has yet to open due to the pandemic, but now the pints will be available in California's Santa Monica Place, the future home of Banks' first Smize Cream shop. And soon enough, they'll be smizing from sea to shining sea. And they're not. They're not in America. And there is, as far as I can tell, no plans on putting these in America. They're not in the U.S. Right now, you can get them. Maybe I could not confirm this. And I did deep dive research. Apparently, on princess cruise ships, all the princess cruise ships are serving smize cream in single serve sizes. Um, But... From what I could find, most Princess cruise ships have two different ice cream venues. They have a soft serve ice cream venue called Serve Ice Cream on Deck and then a gelateria. And neither of those websites had anything about some ice cream. So I'm still skeptical. I cannot find this product as an actual product in the world until on the Smize and Dream website, they did have Where Can I Get Them? And it was a place called brunch and cake they are sold in a brunch restaurant called brunch and cake okay what's brunch and cake brunch and cake only exists in dubai and abu dhabi so this idea that tyra banks has an ice cream company that only exists in the uae is still standing so i found a press release talking about that it says Banks believes that Smize and Dream, which hides a truffle cookie dough, Smize Surprise, at the bottom of every tub. So again, that's the hook of this ice cream is that there's a chunk of raw cookie dough covered in chocolate in the bottom of every pint of ice cream. Um, Offers something different. Quote, I want people to think about their dreams as they dig, 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 dig for that cookie dough, she says. And that's why it was changed to Smize and Dreams. Apparently... Because when you're digging for that cookie dough and you're sentient begging for life ice cream, there's a Smize Surprise inside, which is cookie dough. Um, And expect to be seeing more of Smize and Dreams as Bankers reveals there's a book and a live show in the works centered on the brand and its characters. We're all about dreams and entertainment, she says. Entertainment is a big part of our business. I am very aware of how the world sees me, and I know that it's not as an ice cream entrepreneur, and so to some it seems crazy insane, but it's crazy insane amazing, she says. Years from now, I wanted to be remembered as this woman who started this worldwide company, and then people will say, oh, didn't she used to model once? So, Tyrone has big plans. This website is insane. Did you go to the Smize yes, and Dream website? Yes. It's wild. Like, that what is... brings me to my next point about the website. So thank you, Michelle. It's not very much help to tell you what the product is. It does. The most information you will find on the website, other than go look at it, I'll link it in the show notes because it is just a sparkle disaster. But um, 
it does go on and on and on and on about why she rebranded that it has in spades. And so it has a whole page called new brand who dis a message from Tyra, which says when I created the smile cream ice cream company, I wanted it to be about more than ice cream. We had super big plans to have a huge impact to help people reach their goals on a daily basis. And then reality set in. Yeah, we put a yummy surprise truffle at the bottom of every serving to represent digging for your goals. And we developed a whole impact program all about goal setting and goal getting. But then things got hard, real hard. Also, but there's a lot of broken links. There's a lot of well, stuff. And it up. has little animated things popping up that are the surprises with legs and arms. So I bet that's what the AR is. Like, I bet that when you scan it, that those and they and they are like, guess what? I'm yummy. Yes. Like, I mean, so they would be like begging you to eat them. So that is what I'm yummy. I'm yummier. Yeah. Mm -mm. No, thank you. So this is bizarre. It's like I almost am like, is it like a parody? But of what? Like, it's right. It's absurdist to be a parody. And, and like, what is this little, the new brand who, who dis where it has like the old smize cream logo handwritten yeah. on with the changes and they've like, like, it's just, they've added very... new characters. Cause as I read to you, she wants to make a live television series about the characters and children's books that are involved. I mean, this um, feels like we're going like... to learn more about who's on that tub in a second. Oh, who is oh in there's the logo. more. Okay. <laughs> Like, and why what? that has changed. There's more. None of it answers your questions, but I'm glad you went to look. I loved watching your face because this captures, it just captures the imagination in a very interesting way. It is just why, what? It's interesting. Now watch, in like six months, this is going to be the the like most lucrative ice cream endeavor. And we're going to be like, wait, well, Maybe. I guess we were wrong. I, I guess Tyra knew Tyra... what she was doing all along. But I don't looks... want to put any doubt on Tyra, but okay, yeah, okay, keep going. But Sorry. you would think there was this rebranding around 2022, 2021, and maybe things just aren't going the way she wants with the ice cream. I don't know, but maybe it is. The UAE is very, very lucrative. It's a good place to be doing business these days. Like, is she just making mass amounts of money and she needs to launder it through the UAE or something? So the business itself is incorporated in Delaware, which is a huge, huge tax haven. It's a place where lots of people incorporate for that reason. Um, Corporations registered in Delaware don't do, um, there's no corporate income tax, no sales tax, no investment income tax, no inherent inheritance taxes, no personal property taxes. So it is a good place if you're going to have a shell company or any sort of company to incorporate if you want to dodge your taxes. Um, and it's not in Tyra's name. It's unlike a lot of things. When I was doing my influencer book and I needed to track down like when influencers or people who are just going to put their name on something versus people who are making the product and like own the factory, how do those get incorporated differently? Um a lot of the times the person's name will be in the incorporation documents. They're not the only one who owns it, but their name is on it. Tyra Banks' name is not on the incorporation documents. Instead, it's a corporation called Paracor. And when I looked into Paracor, that's simply a service that does document filing and retrieval services, but it's in their name. 
So they filed all the paperwork and it's in their name. Here's the other thing about Delaware. For my influencer book, I could find a ton of stuff because most of those businesses were incorporated in California. And you can just pull up the Business Bureau of California, look stuff up. In Delaware, that's all behind a paywall. And I wasn't going to pay like $30 to learn more about some ice cream just for this. But um, so I couldn't learn it as much as I might if it was incorporated in a different state. So I am beginning to be like, hmm. Did you even have a grandmother? Maybe she doesn't want to go to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> so I did find an article from marketwatch.com in which Tyra said, quote, I was always conservative. I was always more interested in experiences over things. Things didn't make me happy. I saved, saved, saved. But I saved to a fault about a year ago, and this article is in 2019, about a year ago, my accountants pulled me aside and they were like, Tyra, you're not spending money, nothing. You're just giving it away to the government. You need to spend some damn money. So I don't know if it was so much Tyra needed to spend some money or her accountants were like, you need to stop paying taxes, girl. And um, she did. I think she might have. I think she might have it wouldn't be a first for Tyra either. In 2006, I found out, this is not, I love Tyra Banks. This is not an attack on Tyra Banks. In 2006, Forbes reported that um, they were talking about like shell companies and shell charities. And like Justin Timberlake has done this. Mo a lot of celebrities have done this and it's gross. Um, Tyra's not the only one. Says, welcome to a world in which it's not uncommon for a celebrity's pet foundation to have greater administrative costs than the amount of money it grants. Tax records from Tyra Banks T-Zone Foundation, for instance, show that in 2006, it paid $35,000 in salaries while distributing $32,000 in grants. A spokesperson for banks said that the tax forms were filed incorrectly and that the foundation did not pay out board members' salaries. But who knows? Who knows? It leaves me with more questions than answers. I do want to reiterate the smile surprise, the living AR generated smile surprise of it all. Um, she says about when explaining what a smile surprise is and when it's there, I can remember like yesterday, my family members and friends baking cookies, but that moist, gritty, buttery dough, doesn't that make you not want to eat it? I don't want my dough to be gritty. <laughs> also, like, if this is just a place to spend some money channel some stuff so that you don't have to pay taxes you don't need to tell us that it's your lifelong dream and that you want to be known for ice cream instead of modeling like okay what if all of the content is just ai generated like what if ah, like, and that's why it's I, just like i am tyra generic. banks and i am starting an ice cream company give me a backstory <laughs> And then the AI is like that moist, gritty, buttery. Learn how to cream your sugar, Tyra Banks. But I haven't shown Lionel you Lionel Richie part. is somehow involved. There's a flavor, a Lionel Richie flavor, yeah, which I'm not entirely sure of. So I am going to put this link in the chat and just ask you to play it for as long as you can stand it. Um, so on the tubs of ice cream, they've made some changes. The person on the ice cream is her mother or grandmother. Because I could not figure it out if it was her mother or her grandmother either. And then two children who may or not, may not be Tyra Banks's children. But the character of the mother slash grandmother is also a DJ. Yes. And so that becomes DJ important. DJ splits, I, it appears. DJ splits with a Z because everything is with a Z. So I want you to play because, of course, 
of course there's a theme song for this whole project. Why wouldn't there be? Oh. I'm DJ Splits, Splits. It's a single, baby. <laughs> what Mars is gonna happening? He's going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I wanted to, as you were talking, like, I was like, maybe, maybe this is, Catherine made all this up. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, there's, there's evidence of it. Did you make there that whole a... website? Did you <laughs> like? Is yes, this the deep yes. fake? I've been in. I've been in a total, total just, uh, manic haze of making it. The I can say this: I don't think I'm ever going to taste this ice cream. Sadly, I I really want to. Something about it, I'm like I want. I do want that smile cream. I do want that AR smile surprise. I do. Not. But <laughs> here's what I can do. I can confirm that Tyra Banks or whoever is behind this really does love the decorative website, single Instagram part of it because they are going hard on that. Um, I cannot confirm that it's served on Princess Cruise Lines. I can confirm it's nowhere in the US. I can confirm it is at Brunch and Cake in Abu Dhabi and Dubai. So but, listeners in Dubai, please. Yeah. Go and eat this ice cream and report back. We need to know about your experience, especially the AR coming to life. <laughs> that is a bizarre find. I am fascinated. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, my once again, um, my research is literally just the research I have to do for my job. Um, I like this. I, <laughs> I think this is a good idea. I enjoy it. And today... Uh, we are talking about my February teen book club selection is Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, um, which I picked without rereading it because, you know, I remembered it well enough to be like, oh, yeah, it's about censorship and book burning. And that is definitely relevant. We are going to pair it. The March selection is going to be The Future Will Be BS Free by Will McIntosh, which is a kind of more current look at, you know, dystopias with restrictions on information um but so i re have you read fahrenheit 451 as long ago an adult as a recently. as a non as a post-college person no not okay. as a post-college person yeah i had not either i think the last time i read it was probably late high school or early undergrad um and i just i remembered it in the same vein as you know brave new world and 1984 and just all of those kind of dystopias anti-authoritarian um government and I mean, it is those things, but I am really like, I was like, oh yeah, we can, we can talk about it because there's all of these current conversations about book banning and 
we're suddenly so obsessed with what's on library shelves. And so I was like, this will, this will be great for us to kind of bring in these, these current conversations. And I think that it is, but it's going to be a lot more complicated than I had imagined it to be because I don't think it is, um, it's not just like, Hey, censorship is bad. It is a, a much more interesting conversation that I don't know how it, and it's especially going to be interesting because this is what I'm doing as a book club not as a class that meets like live weekly where I can mm. talk to the students all throughout like we just kind of I give them reading guides to work on throughout the the month and then we meet once at the end of it and so I am going to create like a resource guide that'll have links to things but not everybody uses those because it's kind of a take what you want um thing and I'm really interested in talking about like, what exactly are the politics of Fahrenheit 451? And obviously, we can't talk about that without talking about the context in which it was written. So it was written in the 1950s, and the Cold War is in the backdrop, and the McCarthyism is in the backdrop. And those things, I mean, I'm going to have to provide historical context for that. But I am also just interested in like, what is the message that it's telling us about information? And we were just talking about like the post-truth and like, where do you go to learn yeah. the information when, you yeah. know, it's, you're not allowed to have access to it in this case, because Google's telling you like, oh, that's dangerous. You can't have it because you might hurt yourself. Um, and that's essentially what the censors in this book are saying. It's like, oh, it's dangerous for you to have access to these ideas. Yeah. Don't you want to just stay happy? Don't you want to just be in a simple world where these books all contradict one another? We can't even figure out what they what they mean half the time. And you'll read this one and it'll say one thing and you'll read this one and it'll say another thing. And that's too much for you. Like just um and and it really is um the parallels are really pretty stunning in the way that it talks about uh people who are um very happy to be distracted. So the protagonist's wife um, is her name's Mildred, and she's obsessed with her television, which is really like three walls of screens. She wants to get a fourth wall so that she's completely boxed in. Um, and she calls. Oh the man, the week that the what's the the new virtual reality thing headset, the Vision Pro or Vision Quest has come out. Ooh, that's and that. Yeah. And, and she calls them her family and, and she's like, uh, she, there's a, she has won a contest where she gets to like, they sent her a script so that the thing will talk to her and say her name and then pause while she says her line and then continue. So she gets to feel like she's interacting with it. And, uh, her and her like friends will all get together and go to each other's parlors to sit and, and talk to the family. And just the, just the descriptions of it is just like cacophonous nonsense. And like, none of the characters stay on topic because it just like jumps around. It's very like short term, you don't have to keep anything in your mind for very long. You don't have to make long-term connections. And I mean, it, it really is like a close commentary on attention span and what happens to the brain if you tell it to only pay attention to short things. And I'm going to read a passage from uh, Fahrenheit 451 here. That's This is talking about, uh, he's talking to his wife about the, the nonsense of her entertainment. 
classics cut to fit 15 minute radio shows, then cut again to fill a two minute book column, winding up at, at last a 10 or 12 line dictionary resume. I exaggerate, of course, the dictionaries were for reference, but many were those whose sole knowledge of Hamlet, you know, the title, certainly Montag, it is probably only a faint rumor of a title to you, Mrs. Montag, whose sole knowledge, as I say, of Hamlet was a one page digest in a book that claimed now at last you can read all the classics, keep up with your neighbors, do you see? Out of the nursery, into the college and back to the nursery, there's your intellectual pattern for the past five centuries or more and it made me think about I always get ads for um Blinkist mm. which is like the you don't have time to read the best books so let us summarize them for you and yeah. give them to you in 15 minute digest so that you can have all the best conversations with your friends and you won't be left out and you'll get promoted at work because you'll know all the main points and then like I I've done ghostwriting for people who are trying to write books that they know people are never going to read in their entirety. So, so like it has even impacted the way that the books are being written because they're like, okay, we just need to fill in this middle so that we get the page count. But really, I just need you to have this really good list of key ideas at the end of this chapter, because that's all anybody's ever going to actually read. And I, I don't know. It just, it really rang true as a, as a moment of parallel that I yeah. can connect with the, with the students. I'm not, because I talk to my students a lot, like a, I have a lot of students who say like, it's hard for me to read long things. And I said, that's not your fault because our brains are really good at doing what we have trained them to do. And if you're, I mean, you're constantly being forced to pay attention to short bursts of very energetic things and it's not your brain's fault that it was like, okay, this is what's important. I need to learn to take in this information. And it's not that it's not important. It's not that you don't need to be able to do that. Um, but we just don't have as much opportunity for that kind of long form deep reading. And it, it's hard to work a, a muscle that you don't need to work, so to speak. So here's another part. This is, this is the part that really stuck with me. So um, Montag, the, the protagonist who is a fireman which the firemen all just burn books they don't put out fires they go and start them um so he is the protagonist and um, one thing that surprised me was i remember this more as a action-packed book and really there's not much action till pretty close to the end like it's a very interior um, i'm also reading hamlet as you might remember from yes. last yeah so very interior like am I going to do something about this? Am I going to like, am I going to change? Am I going to not? So a lot of kind of like that, that being torn, it reminded me a lot of Hamlet's kind of soliloquies and, and dealing with like, what's the right thing to do. Um, and so he finds a character uh, named Faber, who is a man that he met once in a park that he thinks has books. And so he, he goes to his house and like shows him a book to show like, Hey, I am, I'm part of the resistance now or whatever, so that Faber will trust him. And obviously this is a conceit so that we can get the history of how did it get this way. So Faber is like a former intellectual and he says, true, we might form classes in thinking and reading. And Montag says, yes. Like, he's like, I want to bring it back. I want to bring back thinking and reading. I want to bring back this skill. And Faber says, but that would just nibble the edges. The whole culture shot through. The skeleton needs melting and reshaping. Good God. It isn't as simple as just picking up a book you laid down half a century ago. Remember, the firemen are rarely necessary. 
the public itself stopped reading of its own accord. You firemen provide a circus now and then at which buildings are set off and crowds gather for the pretty blaze, but it's a small sideshow indeed and hardly necessary to keep things in line. So few want to be rebels anymore, and out of those few, most, like myself, scare easily. Um, and can you dance faster than the white clown? That's one of the characters in the TV shows. Shout louder than Mr. Gimmick and the parlor families. If you can, you'll win your way, Montag. In any event, you're a fool. People are having fun. And so, like, the enemy of intellectualism yeah. isn't the government. Uh, that They just picked up on it later, right? Like, they just saw the opportunity. The enemy of intellectualism was fun and and good vibes and feeling good and oh no escapism <laughs> well that means that we should be uh as we should be at peak intellectualism then according to elmo because the vibes <laughs> are so off no one's bad. having fun no one's having fun no we one be learning a lot is that just what does that say then i don't think we're at a peak intellectual era but I and think that we want, but I think that we're seeking out knowledge and we don't know where to find it because we don't know what is true anymore. So the so, fun times already happened and now we're like at this stage, we're at that stage of Fahrenheit 451 where yeah. Elmo is telling us, hey, idiots. <laughs> well, and he said, it's not as simple as just picking up a book yeah. where you left off 50, like, oh, I no, don't but know that's the thing, do this right? anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I was even thinking about this when it was like, when you were saying about the place to go look for all the birds and like, you can't Google something. So what do we do? And so many of the things we would do before Google have disappeared, right? Because yeah. we depended on these things thinking they were good replacements that would be stable and truthful forever. And they're not. And, you know, it was funding to keep somebody who would organize the microfilms and keep the machines working and put together the library catalogs and bind all of the old magazines. Like, where, where are we supposed to get them? Like, where? how are yeah. we supposed to get them back? We and um, so here's, a, here's another section that this is... Um, Sorry, I want to make sure I'm reading the right part. This is about the the watching all of the information die. So Faber's kind of remembering seeing it happen. How like a beautiful statue of ice it was melting in the sun. I remember the newspapers dying like huge moths. No one wanted them back. No one missed them. And then the government, seeing how advantageous it was to have people reading only about passionate lips and the fist in the stomach, circled the situation with you fire eaters. So Montag, there's this unemployed printer. We might start a few books and wait on the war to break the pattern and give us the push we need. A few bombs and the families in the walls of all the houses like Harlequin rats will shut up. In the silence, our stage whisper might carry and so spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't read this 1953 novel um the end of fahrenheit 451 i did not remember it this way like i remembered it from like my high school years as being like a, a real cry against censorship like a real like we're gonna yeah. we're gonna take this society back but the way that it ends is montag um burns up his his boss um, and is has become a fugitive on the run. And they have like this really dramatic, he's on all the TV stations. They kind of turned the world against him because they're like, look outside and someone will see him. And um, he manages to escape and get to like the railroad tracks where there's basically like traveling vagabonds of previous PhDs that just live in the woods. And um, yeah, yeah, I know, 
I know. I saw that look. It's just like live in the woods, like eating cans of beans together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ow. Ow. You have some. You have a can opener. Um, and so I can't use the can opener. I have no skills. <laughs> so, so he he gets together with them. And they're like, oh, don't worry, you'll be, they'll catch you soon enough. And he's like, what do you mean? And they're like, look, they can't, they can't let this, they're already losing people's attention and they can't let it be a loss. So they're going to find somebody, they're going to find a scapegoat. And, and they do like three minutes later, they like find someone on the TV, like they're watching it on like a little portable TV. And they just find like, yep, and Montag's dead and peace is back. Here's your programming. And they're like, yeah, they won't look for you anymore. You can just kind of hang out with us now. And so the idea is, is that each one of them has snippets of a book that they have memorized and they now to to their extent they are that book and so like they are trying to just carry that book forward and they they there's like one little line about like we have a memory technique so that if you've ever seen it we can um you know use our memory technique to bring it forward but that felt very that felt very much like a kind yeah. of pop out for bradbury because the they're this like is we how know- we have gravity in space okay right. boom, boom. <laughs> and but they're like we know it won't be perfect but we just have to hope that at some point the world will like get flattened enough that we can reinsert ourselves and bring back what we can. And so at this point, if Melt they that skeleton, right at this point, they're like, if we find a book, we read it, memorize what we can, and then we burn it ourselves. We also are book burners because otherwise, oh, that's like accelerationist shit. I don't like that. Oh yeah, no, because they're like otherwise when they find us, they they kill us or they you know like and so they're like the only way that these books are ever going to survive is if we don't have anything when they come to shake us down we don't have anything for them to find it's only in our minds and and they they don't know that so they can't take that from us so their job i do not remember the book so much so their their job is just to carry as much of the memory as the book as they as they can and so he is ecclesiastes like that is our, our protagonist has become ecclesiastes he is that book. And then the positive ending is that they've been at war this whole time. Um, and, you know, remember this is set against the Cold War and the Cold War would occasionally like flare up and there was all the like duck and cover hide under your desk videos or whatever. Um, and so that it actually happened like the the, the society had been like, oh, you know, nobody dies at war. Like, we, you know, they declare war and then later the same day it's over. It's not a big deal. But like they actually did get bombed and the city gets completely flattened. And so these people are like, this is our chance. This is the only like it took this level of crisis for us to have a chance to maybe rebuild society that doesn't want to burn all of the books. And it reminded me of um, Dorian Linsky wrote the book 33 revolutions per minute which is the the book about protest songs through history and the final chapter of that which i think that book was published in like 2006 i want to say mid mid 2000s and the final chapter on that talks about i think it's john mayer's song waiting on the world to change and um dorian linsky says actually do i have it nearby so i can say exactly what he says oh look at this i don't even oh, have to yeah. get out of my look chair um that's good i didn't have that that's satisfying that made me feel good (laughs) so he he says this is about waiting on the world to change by john mayer it was profoundly passive and defeatist and whereas radiohead explored the existential agony induced by political impotence mayer served up 
glib cynicism. According to Mayer, we see everything that's going wrong, but we just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. As he told the advocate, it's saying, well, I'll just watch American Idol because I know that if I were engaged in changing anything for the better or the better as I see it, it would go unnoticed or be completely ineffective. A lot of people have that feeling. True enough, but Mayer did nothing to interrogate or challenge that feeling. The song's answer is simply to hang around until this generation gets old enough to govern the country, at which point, for reasons Mayer does not specify, the world will finally become a better place. And so it basically, the, the ending line of the final chapter of the book is, this spineless shrug of a record was perhaps the protest <laughs> song its listeners deserved. And so, yeah. Oh, yeah. good. That's a perfect burn on John Mayer. That's good. Um, And kind of that generation, which, you know, like, but then, you know, the protest song came roaring back and like the Black Lives Matter movement was full of very vocal, very present protest, both in music and throughout art and on the streets. Um, and so when I teach that book, I have students like write an additional chapter, like what would they pick from from the next decade? I like it's really fun. Assignment. Oh, that's a beautiful assignment, Michelle. And <laughs> virtual high five. Um, but like, I mean, I think Fahrenheit 451 is kind of waiting on the world to change, right? Like this, like you can't fix it. You can't go against the the well, wave. Like you have to character, wait for the TV watching character is like becomes important then, right? Because that's what John Mayer is. The people in the woods are really doing things. They're not just watching TV and being like, well, that's true. That's fair. Fair. They're mem- they're using their mind palace, I guess, <laughs> to memorize books in a special way. Do you yeah. does, does the concept of mind palace ever work for you? I can't I can't comprehend how that would actually be helpful. Like I, how people are like, I have a mind palace and that works. No, I mean, tell me more. I don't know if I know this terminology. Oh, really? Um, it's something I first heard when Sherlock, the TV show with Benedict Cumberbatch, was out. One of the ways they explained how Sherlock was so smart and knew everything was he had a mind palace, but it's a very old, very convoluted form of like almost a mnemonic device used to memorize huge amounts of information. And it doesn't make sense to me. Oh, it would not work for you at all because you don't have a mind's eye. Yeah. It would be awful for you. And the idea is that you make a house or a castle or something, some kind of built environment. And you walk through it, you like watch yourself walk through it and you store all the information in it. And like, I think primarily a visual way. Mm, yeah. And nope. then when you go back <laughs> to the house, it helps you remember things. But I, for the life of me, can't even start to see how. No, that's, I mean, that's obvi- it definitely doesn't work, work that way. Yeah. I do. I mean, like if I'm trying to remember something, I will just kind of like go through the alphabet and I'll be like, one of these letters is going to trigger. I do that too. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it almost always do does. That. I'm like, it's, it's a C, it's a, give me a minute. And then people are trying to help. I'm like, you don't talk to me. I'm no, I'm I have to do my ABCs. Right now. C L C U C R C C R C. Yep, yep. Oh, I do that. We can call it our mind alphabet. It's our a mind alphabet. My mind alphabet. <laughs> what book would you be? Oh gosh, I asked students that. That's one of the questions I put on the thing. <sighs> Let me think. That would be Mother Night by Kurt Vonnegut. Nice nice what would you be i i realize i have to answer this yeah. that's why mm-hmm. i have a panic look in my eye i can't ask if i don't answer um i thought maybe like 
definitely Vonnegut came to mind first and maybe like Slaughterhouse Five, but but if we're um, living if we're living by the railroad tracks eating beans together, we we don't need two Vonnegut's. Yeah. That's a lot. We don't need two Vonnegut's. I do plan on oh man, post apocalyptic apocalyptic word. You better believe I'm on your coattails. I'm there. I'm gonna be near <laughs> Michelle for as long as I can be. Um I can't I can't open a can of beans. I am training AI. That's why I have to train bots now, Michelle. I'm actually worried for my whole job. I'm like, well, at least if I do this, maybe if Please I get remember. in now. They're yeah. even like, that's the one who tried to trick us. <laughs> oh no, it would be nice. You're making I did enemies. play. This is off topic, but I like played two truths and a lie with a bot for like a good hour. And it always knew my lie. And that was very disconcerting. It also was really good at would you rather. Um, but the two truths and a lie thing. Ooh, every time. I don't know. And I was doing very banal things. Anyway, my book would be, I'm just trying to, think about what is a book I want to come back to again oh a stoner the book stoner if I had to live with this book forever I think stoner I was thinking maybe to the lighthouse but I think if this is a book I have to constantly remember and I want other people to know I do it's just I haven't read it yet I it's still on my to read list so a I'm lot gonna... about what it is to be a human and to be an academic which I think hey that's important to keep in the world but I also read you part of it in the car about when he learns he wants that to be he's a gonna be a teacher yeah and yeah like, I remember don't that. you already know you're a teacher you're a teacher yeah I think it's just a very boring and beautiful book and I would choose stoner right now okay I like that I have one more time. One Plus more. Plus, then everyone calls me Stoner, and maybe and I like that as a nickname. Mother Knight's a pretty badass. Nickname. Mother Knight's a great nickname. Michelle, we're eating beans out of a can. We're living in the woods. Stoner Mother and, and Mother Knight are coming. Stoner and Mother Knight are your girls. <laughs> That's cool. That works too. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So one more thing, I found this article that I'm adding into my resources for my students for this. It is, um, it's a pretty recent article published February 3rd. So very recent. Um, it's titled from the New York Times, My Heart Sank in Maine, A Challenge to a Book and to a Town's Self-Image. So this is, this takes place in the Blue Hill Public Library in Maine. And um, so somebody comes up to the Rich Boulet, the librarian there, and they say, how do I donate a book to the library? And he's like, you just give it to me. And the book that was handed over was Irreversible Damage, the Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And this town prides itself on being very liberal leaning, being very accepting. And um, so he didn't really know what to do with it. He took it to the library like committee, they put it through the tests that they put all books through, and they ultimately said, we're going to put it on the shelves. And then their community got very upset, and he got like, he lost friends over it, they got into fights, and he was like, look, I, I used the standards that we use to decide if we're going to put things in circulation and... I can't just put things I agree with out there. He's like, I can't, like, I can't do that. I, he said, I want the library to be there for everybody, not just people who share my voting record. And, um, but then people were saying like, this is dangerous. Like what if, you know, like a young transgender person, like somebody even said to him, if a young transgender person reads this book and then commits suicide, that's on you. You did that. And he, and like, 
it just I don't know. It was really he asked the American Library Association for a public letter of support and they didn't respond to him. And so the New York Times reached out to ask them about it. And they said that it generated so much internal debate that it delayed whether or not they were going to write the letter of support. They have since apologized. And they said our position on the book is that it should remain in the collection. It is beneath us to adopt the tools of the censors. But it took them a long time to say it. And, um, you know, that they said the presence of an item in the library is not an endorsement of the ideas in it and that they can't just protect speech they like or they're not actually protecting speech at all. And I just think it's a really um, interesting piece that's going to bring into this conversation. But I think it's going to be really uncomfortable to talk about. And I, I also think it's going to be tough to talk about. Like I said, it's this month-long thing where I only meet with them at the end of it. And so I, I don't know how to unpack yeah. that. But here's well. the problem, right? I don't want to be like, oh, it takes a village, but like, because the immediate knee jerk thing is like, yeah, who we, if we have rules that say this is how we judge something is appropriate or dangerous or not, those need to apply across the board. But I'm thinking through like when the AI would say, no, this is dangerous. And I would say, well, no, but I'm this kind of person or this kind of person. And obviously there's things in the internet you don't want like a, six-year-old child seeing that you are fine with seeing and the implication there is that there are there are people beyond that google search algorithm that are weighing in on how that child is safe in the world or not right and yeah. that's what it is at the end of the day that there isn't one there isn't one safety barrier because that would be awful we need like so many layers safety of barriers safety. in place yeah. and layers of safety but then there's so many chances for those to go wrong, right? Like if a, if a child, if a, if a trans kid has good support at home and they read that book, then maybe it's not going to affect them in a way that someone who has no support at home would read it. That would be deeply damaging. And it's just sad to me that all these interconnected issues create all these interconnected dangers that there can never just be one guardrail for. It's well, not and it, fair that that librarian has to be the one guardrail. And but... it makes me think about like, ultimately, my argument is like, you should read things you disagree with. Because I mean, I'm, I'm an agonist, like, I believe that you have to understand your opponent's perspective in order to defeat it. Like, if you are going to be able to put a good argument forward to defeat the ideas that you are against, you have to understand what the other person is saying. And I, I that doesn't mean that you have to agree with them, but it does mean that you have to do more than just parrot back like a straw man version of it. Like you, you have to understand what they're saying. And like, I, this is obviously not as serious as an example as this book. Like obviously they chose a book that would have a very, I mean, I, it would be horrifying for, I mean, I have many, trans and non-binary children that I love that are very close to me and to think that they could go into a library and find a book that's telling them that they are broken is awful um but I think about like when I was reading all those self-help books that we've talked about like all those productivity books and I read the five-hour work week um which I hated with a we've, we've talked about it like a deep 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 yeah. passion but reading it made me understand what my values were because I could tell every single time 
that some his advice was pushing up against my values. It's like, oh, there's my boundary. Like there, there is where that like this is what I'm not willing to do. This is where like I I have to come up with a plan that works within this foundation. And so I couldn't have had that clarity without reading something that I found deeply offensive and deeply unethical. And I don't think that, you know, we can avoid dealing with unethical, offensive things if we want clarity in our own thoughts and in our own arguments. Yeah. And I wonder, how did you come to the point where you understand and know and can feel and acknowledge those boundaries so well? And what went into training your brain to do that? Because if you have students who say, my brain is not trained to read long books, what societally goes into training us to know our boundaries? And one of those things is hearing opinions we don't agree with again and again and again. And if we lose that, then our brains are not trained to know they our don't own know. boundaries yeah. and to know our own mind. Well, my colleague just wrote a, a, a article about the difference between a space, a safe space and a brave space and how important mm. it is to like, we talk a lot about safe spaces and safe spaces in rhetorical terms are called enclaves. And it's, it's a place where you don't have any opposition because you are in a space where all of the voices that you hear and all of the, people who are hearing you agree with what you are saying. And enclaves are rhetorically very important because if you are constantly fighting, you don't ever have time to rest and shore up your resources to go back into the fight. I mean, think about like watching a boxer, right? Like when the, the in between yeah. rounds where they have to go sit. Or and- even just how good it felt when the whole world had the enclave of we're not good, Elmo. It's yeah. bad. Yeah. And that felt yeah. good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. To like, you, but safe spaces are only there as a retreat so that you have the energy to get back in the fray back in the ring if you just stay in the safe space you're not making any changes because it's that's just not where change happens and if you stay in a safe space long enough um so i am i am very against like irenic rhetoric does not work for me which is the idea that it's rhetoric without conflict um, and I don't believe I don't believe in rhetoric without conflict. I don't think that that exists. And I think all of the attempts to make it exist always exclude people um, and and then exclude people and aren't honest about excluding them because they basically yeah. are like, you know, oh, well, we just set boundaries so that I'm like that nobody can fit all of the boundaries. So the only way to truly have ironic rhetoric is to only talk to yourself and that's not rhetoric right like so you have to be willing to have some conflict um which doesn't mean that you have to just put up with abusive treatment and disrespect like you are allowed to set boundaries for yourself um but it does mean that like we we got to get in the ring and um i think that i think that that is one of the things we are most at risk of losing in a post-truth society where we can all retreat into very small circles that are also often superficial and um, hedonistic. I mean, I was just telling you about my moss society, like, you know, like- I was gonna say that you said your Facebook in part has become a smooth, safe space, not because you weren't engaging with others, but they stopped engaging with you. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and I, you need I that. Still... You love that space, but you don't want that to be, you don't want to go have Moss be your whole world, Facebook no. be your whole world. Yeah. No. no, if I was just like, oh, well, I don't need to be engaged politically because I can just look at pretty pictures of Moss. Like that's a failure. That's a rhetorical and yeah. civil failure. You're not in the ring when you're looking at Moss. Yeah. So uh, that's my research. Well, I'm very excited that that's being taught by you to a bunch of students. Okay. Do you want to wrap up? I feel let's... like this is going to be both easy and very hard. So let's yeah. wrap up. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, a thread to weave through. It's not a very there's happy definitely one. <laughs> a red. I I wrote a list, um, so I can remember what we talked about, and I know we'll recap in a second. But I like that it says bird, bird, bony, Elmo, smize, four, five, what? <laughs> well, let's recap. Um, I talked about what well, that was about... a recap. What do you mean? <laughs> okay, done. Bird, bird, <laughs> bony, smize, Elmo, four, five, one. <laughs> okay, I talked about sound mainly sounds i'm hearing at night which were the sounds of the asian house gecko and the bush curlew and i talked about ai birds and why and my pop culture was about boney m as kind of a front for a different band and they're tied to millie vanilli and mine was about Elmo's Abyss and how none of us are doing okay. Not good, Elmo. Not good. Um, my research was trying to track down um, Tyra Banks and her smize and dream. Or is it something else entirely? I hope it's something else entirely. I am fascinated. And mine was modern day parallels in Fahrenheit 451 and not realizing that I was going to have to teach so hard. <laughs> so you said two things that i really liked and i don't know how they interconnect you said birds look all kinds of different ways which i really loved and i thought maybe <laughs> potentially could be something birds look all kinds of different ways they, they do they do and then you, you gotta get in first. the ring yeah and then you gotta get in the ring birds look all different kinds of ways and you gotta get in the ring were two statements of yours i thought were especially all right. I um I really love the image of the ice cream coming to life while you're trying to eat it. Um. Maybe that's a good like metaphor for life somehow and a po a post truth world is the ice cream begging you not to eat it. And I I also die. I loved the way you described the terror of seeing the ghostly birds at night on their long legs wandering around in the that, that felt that felt of the of the mood i feel like they were a good little mascot yeah of this elmo on we yeah elm we elm we elm we man okay so there's definitely there's definitely like something with post post truth is very -truth. big right how do you know what's um, real? Yeah. And I think that fits to my weird thing because I didn't know what the noise was. I didn't know about those birds. And then and then I did experience them. And how would my knowledge and yeah. experience be different if I had happened upon them first before knowing what they were? 
that really is informative about which comes first. And then of course, like the Tyra Banks thing, but we will not know the truth. We cannot know the truth of that no. under all that glitter. Well, and the, and the lip sync is all about like the yeah. truth that you see versus oh the gosh. truth that's going on behind backstage or. Yeah. And same with Elmo. There wasn't Elmo asking that. And that, yeah. and everyone knew that we weren't trauma dumping on a three-year-old child. We know. And then Fahrenheit 451, obviously, obviously, obviously yeah. is so, whole... I mean, I think it's like, okay. So if it was like, you got to get in the ring, but you also got to what? Like, cause it's not just being in the fight. It's also having the knowledge to. You got to know if you're, when you're in the fight, when you aren't. You got to you got to know what the ring is the ring produced by AI. Is that a ring that you're in or are you in the meta are you, are the you just wearing a, a yeah just punching at the I'm winning. To get in the ring, you have to know if if it is a ring. To get in the ring, you have to know if you're in the ring. No, none of this is working. But it's but it's something like that, right? Yeah. You got to get in the ring, but you can't stay in the ring. But that doesn't incorporate not knowing if it's a ring or not and knowing the truth of the ring. Or it's like, if you're always winning, you're probably not in the ring, right? Like, if you're always winning, it's probably not real. Yeah. You got to get in the ring. You can't stay in the ring. And if you're winning... You're not in the ring. That I don't know. That's the sentiment we want. It's the sentiment, the but not the pithiness. It. Yeah. If you're always winning, you're never ringing. Oh, that doesn't rhyme. This doesn't rhyme the way I thought it did in my head before I said it. <laughs> Your head is a different wing, accent. <laughs> wind and ring. Oh, but we could do something with wings. Birds' wings, winging. You're always ringing. winging. If you're in, so I mean, we can. It's the ones that should fit together well that we have the most problems with. Now I'm just rhyming fight and flight, which I also don't think is gonna fight or flight. There's something with fight or flight with a bird pun. Get in the ring, fight or flight. They are no. No Get in the ring, fight or flight. It screams at night. Um, is it right? It screams a night. I also kind of like putting smiles in there somewhere. Ooh, <laughs> smiles. Okay, we're really making this hard on ourselves. So we have birds, post truth, smizing. You gotta get in the ring and smize now. Um, Something with lies and smiles. Or like, because, you know, the saying like eyes are the windows to the soul. Oh. So Smiles is the window to the ring. <laughs> <laughs> but something about like how smize is like a veneer that isn't, it's not oh, the so window. If, if eyes are the window to the soul, then the smize are the curtains of the truth. <laughs> we got Lies <laughs> the curtains of the truth around Lies the ring. Are the curtains of the truth around the ring. <laughs> we 
I'm going to type it out. Hold on. The okay. Size. We got to see this. We got to see it in writing. Of the truth around the ring. I mean. Lies are the curtains of the truth around the ring. If you listened to the whole episode, it would make sense. I don't. I don't know what you take away okay, from that yeah, if in you isolation. Open your fortune, if you open your fortune cookie, I guess that's it doesn't have to make sense, but it has to be something you could conceivably open a fortune cookie and go, okay, maybe. The smithe is the smize is the curtain of the truth around the ring. I mean that those are like very, very much. How do you feel about it, Michelle? I you know, I think for as much complexity as we're trying to pack in here, that like it's it's doing it. Yeah. If we have to fit smize, which we absolutely do. No question. And I like that curtain of the truth around the ring could mean it is a curtain of truth or it is curtaining the truth. The truth. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the smize is the curtain of the truth around the ring. Do with that what you will, but you do have to do everything with it. As we said at the start of this podcast, everything for now for the next 14 days. Or until you listen to us again. So if you don't tune into the next episode, that's just your life now. Yep. (laughs) It doesn't count if you replay an old episode. We can't stay on pizza forever. We're fighting now. We're moving on. We're, we're, We're one month into the year and we are fighting. No more joy in pizza fighting and smizing smize smize the truth i'm smizing goodbye everybody goodbye have fun with that let us know if you want to listen to us uh watch follow that bird or even if you don't we're probably gonna do it yeah so we don't want to hear <laughs> don't tell us <laughs> don't tell us, us you don't but if you do we want we want a smize curtain around your yes. truth if it's negative send us your affirmations keep yes. your complaints to yourself yes absolutely goodbye goodbye